Hello and welcome to this edition of the Slugger O'Toole podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the State of the State report produced by Deloitte. It's one of my favourite reports of the year. And to go through this, we have Mr. Ed Roddis, who is Head of Research at Deloitte. And we have Marie Doyle, who is a partner at Deloitte Northern Ireland. Marie and Ed, you're both very welcome to the Slugger O'Toole podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us, David. Good to have you with us. Um, now, in previous um, uh, state of the state reports, it's been noted about the lack of confidence in government in Northern Ireland, and this year doesn't seem to be much better. So, Marie, kick us off. What have you made about the findings of this year's report? Obviously, we've just gone through an election year, um, and obviously, with the executive being down, politics is is always uh, a top issue here. What did you make of of that finding this year? Thanks, David. Um, delighted to be with you this year again. So, um, as you say, our, our report does bring together a lot of numbers, a lot of evidence from conversations with public sector leaders across the UK, including here in Northern Ireland, but also really helpfully a citizen survey um, of people across the UK and, and, and quite a good sample of people of approximately 500 people here in Northern Ireland. And we asked people about trust in government and how confident are you in, in government being able to do certain things like be able to deliver projects and programs on time and on budget to be able to look after your data do the right thing for society um, treat the employees right and yes unfortunately we do see a consistent trend that Northern Ireland um, is tailing the rest of the UK in this respect I think most notably tailing the other devolved regions so if you look at Scotland and Wales they very much perform better in terms of trust and confidence in government than um, England and, and Northern Ireland, which is the bottom of the pile. As you say, it's probably not um, it's probably not surprising that that's the situation this year, just given the political upheaval we've had with the, the Assembly election earlier this year, with the potential for another election looming um, perhaps early in the new year, and now the situation we're in with the lack of any ministers or executive um, in Northern Ireland. We do see um, particularly poor um per, per uh, trust in government around things like delivering on outcomes that we want. And I suppose that's, again, testament to the fact that we don't really have an agreed programme for government here in Northern Ireland. Um, there hasn't been, if you like, really stable government for some time. And um, I think also if we look at the um, statistic we have around um, our confidence in government to treat their employees with respect, um, that has dipped um, this year. And I think that is also testament to the sort of inflationary environment and the cost of living environment that we are in and, and the pressures around public sector pay as well and, and how those are going to be resolved over the coming months. So just to pick up on what Marie was saying, I mean, I think this shows that politics is the shop window for government and what's going on politically will inevitably drive levels of trust in the system as a whole. But that said, you've got to take trust seriously when it comes to the public sector. For lots of public bodies, it's not trust isn't a worthy sentiment. It's a license to operate and there are real world consequences when it's absent. I mean, the most obvious example is in policing. Yeah, absolutely, and that is a key fiscal pressure on the on the uh, potentially a reformed executive. And this leads me very nicely into the next um, uh, topic I want to look at is, and that is the issue of tax attitudes. Believe it or not, um, some of the Slugger O'Toole readers may be falling off their chair when I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but 
and you can elaborate a wee bit on this for us. Northern Ireland has got um, a bit of a bit of a love for low taxes in some respects. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was a civil servant who said to us that Northern Ireland's right wing on taxes and left wing on public spending. And that is a very difficult circle to square. So look, look, in our survey, we asked the public across the UK, what's your preferred balance of tax and spending? Do you want to see higher public spending, which will mean higher taxes or higher borrowing? Or do you want lower taxes, which will probably mean lower public spending? And the, the bigger picture here is that the public opinion across the UK was was split. So just 17% UK-wide want to keep the status quo. They want to keep the current balance. Uh, 33% said, let's have uh, lower taxes. 29% said, let's have higher public spending. So a really split picture. But what it does mean is that the public wants change, there's just no real consensus on what direction they want that change to go in. Now, in Northern Ireland, there's a slight different, a difference, a marginal difference. So here in Northern Ireland, 36% of the public said that they would like to see uh, lower taxes. So by a margin... Uh, Northern Ireland is keener on lower taxes and lower public spending than higher taxes and higher public spending, um, but still quite a split picture. Okay, and Ed, just whilst you're you're talking a wee bit about that, I just wonder then, in terms of the conversation around what is about to happen, obviously with any future with any future budget. I mean, do you think that? That the debate in where, where where do you see that debate going from from previous state of the state reports? Wow. Well, I mean that's a good question. So public opinion has shifted dramatically. When when we asked a comparable question back in the austerity years of the last decade, sixty percent of the public were saying, "Give us higher public spending." give us higher taxes. So they were kind of reacting to the austerity years. Now we've seen a complete turnaround of public opinion. So a lot more people, particularly younger people, in fact, saying we would prefer lower taxes, lower public spending. I think a lot of what is driving this is concerns about household incomes. People saying it's a cost of living crisis. We would prefer to keep hold of more of our own income. But really, all eyes on the Chancellor for his his fiscal statement later this month. It's up to him, not me. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm rather I'm rather you than him, I suppose, as, as you would say over here. Um, Marie, I want to ask you a wee bit about, because obviously outside of tax, there are a lot of other issues really in terms of what we're focusing on here in Northern Ireland. And something that did jump out um, at me anyway, was um, the difference in attitudes uh, from people in Northern Ireland vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the UK, about what they're prioritising um, uh, from government. So could you just elaborate a wee bit for us about what has been in there and, and what stands out for, from the Northern Ireland picture? Yes. So um, we asked people what their priorities were for, for public sector and we gave them a sort of pick list um, for that, David. And we see very much from the Northern Ireland cohort that real issues on the ground are coming out as the priorities. So health waiting lists, mental health, housing, um, social care coming out on top for Northern Ireland. I think it's very notable that we see climate action action around climate change not 
um, identified as the same level of priority in Northern Ireland as we see across across the UK. So um, I think interesting that actually in the face of the cost of living crisis that we are in, we are seeing people, you know, really lock down on those on those on the ground issues that are facing them day in, day out. Interesting also, we don't really see education coming up. So I think there is is maybe a, a view on the ground that that's okay, we're doing okay in that space. But I mean, the situation that we are in vis-a-vis health and social care, the um, situation we were in with our waiting list pre-COVID, how that's been exaggerated since COVID and beyond COVID um, means that that continues to be um, a real priority for our people. Um, Housing as well, comparatively in Northern Ireland, does come up higher on the pecking order than perhaps in other areas of the UK. I think that's reflective of both the situation in terms of social and affordable housing, but also our our general housing market and access for young people onto the housing ladder here as well. And of course, the the current monetary policy um, and interest rate hikes is is going to make that environment um, much more difficult. But certainly, and I think an interesting interesting reflective point for our political parties just the priorities are very much around those on the ground day-to-day issues for the public interesting as well there to to see that mental health was higher up the list of priorities in northern ireland and actually if you look at some of the statistics they suggest northern ireland has the highest prevalence of mental health problems in the uk so perhaps that's unsurprising yeah, and for obviously there's a lot of food for thought there for a reformed executive, particularly around healthcare, housing, uh, mental health, all very expensive issues to actually tackle and resolve um, as well. So a lot of big ticket items there for a potential a potential reformed executive. Um, another uh, issue that I wanted to to touch upon with, with the two of you um, was obviously challenges for a future executive. Um, in terms of where this goes and in terms of, in ter- because obviously we, I, I look back over the last few state of the state reports and the same issue seemed to be kind of cropping up and dominating as an issue. So um, Maria, if I can go back to you on this, it's a big entry facing facing these ministers coming in. You know, we, we talked about in 2020 when the ministers came back in and little did, we, little did they know at the start of January, their, their problems were just beginning really. It's it's a big it's there's a lot of big ticket items for not just the British government before before reformed executive. Yes, absolutely, David. I think when we when we delivered this research over the last couple of years, we talked about unprecedented times, living and working and operating in unprecedented times, dealing with COVID nineteen. Um, I think there's a sentiment among the public sector that. You know, we're now facing a cost of living crisis. You know, the geopolitical situation in Europe and the the Russian invasion in Ukraine and the downstream impacts on supply chains and the inflationary pressures from that and and more globally, um, does make this does make this feel like we are really living in unprecedented challenges. So you're absolutely right. Um, the the entry of of a future executive is going to be challenging. We hear a lot at the minute about the um, financial position of of public sector in Northern Ireland. We're sitting at some 650, 660 million uh, pressure on this year's budget. That uh, you know, in in comparative terms, that's about five percent of the total budget. So um, a very significant amount, which is driven really by inflationary pressures, energy. Costs, 
costs and pressures on on public sector wages. So that's just a standstill. That's us not tackling some of those issues that you've mentioned, tackling mental health, tackling hospital waiting lists. So there is a real challenge around how we address some of the big challenges that exist and have existed, as you rightly pointed out, for for a number of years. They're not new but they do require investment. You know, we hear year in, year year out about uh, wastewater infrastructure, for example, particularly Mm -hmm. in the greater Belfast area, um, how that is really constraining development um, in the area. And we also hear about the increase in cost to maintain that year in, year out, because we're not making the capital investment we need in that. We hear about the situation in the economy with regard to skills and how we are coming to a crossroads in terms of our economic growth and prosperity in Northern Ireland because we cannot match skills to um, business growth aspirations in Northern Ireland. And all of those things are going to require investment. And that investment, um, it's hard to see where it's going to come from. Uh, and I do note the um, Department of Finance has come out with a consultation on the devolution of fiscal powers in Northern Ireland. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting. And the work of the Fiscal Commission is really, really interesting. But of course, I think it would be a little bit um, premature for us to start talking about devolution of fiscal powers without a functioning executive. So ultimately, we do need um, some stability of government to be able to tackle these issues um, going forward. But there is no doubt the intra is is an extremely challenging one. Yeah, just I mean, Marie, that just from from what you've been saying, I know you you watch these things incredibly closely. Um, we can't really afford a standstill approach. Basically, we need decisions to be taken to the, in, in some shape or form. We do. And, you know, we have been saying, public sector has been saying, private sector has been saying, the people we talk to through every year through State of the State have been saying, we need a multi-year budget. We need some long-term strategic planning opportunity um, in Northern Ireland to be able to tackle these issues. Um, which And, and the, the issue list is just increasing by the day. So we do need, um, we do need that longer-term view and that longer-term budget. Um, and I think everyone accepts that. But without that political stability, we just can't move forward on this. Yeah, and it, it's, it, it does just seem to be in terms of what you're saying about we, we, we get very close to, to resolving these issues and then they can, they can quite often just just uh just fall by the wayside um yeah. and the other couple Sorry, of things just, that... to, just to elaborate on that and ed might want to come in here as well i mean one of the themes we picked up across the uk research this year was this idea of public sector needing to take the hard decisions around what it does and does not do and um, because of those budget constraints and because of those intra pressures and and one of the aligned discussion points that we heard was around collaboration across public private voluntary and community sector and how we can look at different models of public service delivery, how that might work to improve the the citizen um, view of public services and how services delivery are delivered. And I think, you know, there was a a discussion and some challenge around how other sectors would be held to account. And I think that is the start of of a useful conversation on something that there does seem to be appetite amongst public sector leaders to evolve a conversation around in Northern Ireland. Yeah, Ed, what what do we, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, if I reflect on what really stood out for me in our interviews with with officials in Northern Ireland uh, this year, it's this: 
I've been doing these interviews for a few years now. Over that time, I've spoken to hundreds of public sector leaders across the UK. And the thing that stood out this year was this. They want to see some bold choices by politicians. A lot of the debates, you've said, David, we've talked about this year on year in State of the States reports, and these debates have started to run out of road. It gets to how many years can you say health spending is unsustainable, social care spending needs reform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those debates feel like they've really run out of road. They've, they've come um, to the end of their lifespan. And as a result, people just want politicians to make those kind of big choices to really start resolving them. Everybody knows these are big, difficult issues, but the choices need to be made. Yeah, and Ed, just because you noted uh, uh, at the start of your remarks, there's a contradiction across the UK. The UK, I mean, who would have thought it? Voters, voters have some contradictory wants and needs. You know, voters want better public services, but the tax, the the tax attitudes to pay for them. So, I'm you. You were saying there about the debate needs to run out of road. I mean, in terms of in terms of where where that is at the moment from the Northern Ireland picture. I mean, where do you see that? You know, if you're a politician reading the state of the state report. You know, lack of government delivery is bringing down confidence because there mm -hmm. are the resources isn't there. So, <clears throat> well, th these kinds of things are massively complex, but it, at its heart, there's a simplicity, and this this is my worldview. I'm sharing, David. If you if you want to, if you need to cut your cloth according to your means, you can you can look at it one of two ways. You can start cutting things. You could take a government department. You could say, right knock off 30% of its headcount, knock off 30% of its budget. Then you've got a government department with 30% fewer resources trying to do exactly the same thing, only with a third less. Or you can stand back, you can look at the system, you can think, right, is this department doing everything we need it to do? Has it got the right resources in place? Has it got the right skills and people? Is it using technology right, the right processes? Is it in the right place in the wider ecosystem? And then you start reforming. And that is a conversation that I think you can start to feel optimistic about. Yeah, it's bigger choices, but also it's going to lead you to a better place. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and just in terms of this, uh, Maria, I'll, I'll go to you on this. You know, I always like to to, to think about, you know, we, we, we've talked about challenges, um, but Ed has very nicely and his very cheery demeanor that he always has. You know, there are real opportunities. We talked about last year, the report was noting some of the opportunities around some green technologies, for example, for Northern Ireland, actually with the COP agenda and I see and some of that come to the fore. So in terms of in terms of Marie, what, what you've seen from the Northern Ireland picture, Let's let's continue Ed's cheeriness. Give us a wee bit of optimism. What what what, what in terms of the the positivity? For I know you've outlined some of it, but just what, what have you what have you seen in terms of the the positive? Yes, outlook? this was probably the only point in the in the conversation with those leaders, David, that we got any kind of glimpse of a smile or optimism, and um, when we asked them to share their twenty thirty vision with us, and you know there is there is absolutely an appetite and an aspiration in there to achieve some big things, um, action on climate is there i think there's 
there's that slightly nuanced with a frustration that we're too forward looking on climate action. You know, we're thinking about where we'll be in 2050 when in truth we need to think about where we'll be in 2025 because if we don't start somewhere, we're never going to get there. Um, I think interestingly, there's still a really optimistic discussion about ways of working post-COVID and how that's landed. And actually, I think a lot of credit needs to be given to the public sector and how it's navigated COVID, the agility it's shown through how it's delivered in COVID and coming out the back of that, how it's engaged with its massive employee workforce um, to, to find an equilibrium of how people want to work and need to work um, for their for their organisational well-being and for their own personal well-being. So I think that is a positive story. Um, I think there continues to be challenges in terms of public sector and being representative of the people that it delivers. I think there's still an age demographic issue that's recognised in, in, in civil service in particular. They want to... Um, you know, reduce the the average age of, of, of the working population within public sector and um, be more reflective of the society which they represent here in Northern Ireland, you know, so some longer term bold vision around that. Um, and ultimately, I suppose, get a programme of government that is going to deliver real outcomes for the people of Northern Ireland, really tackle those systemic issues, particularly in the health space, um, is where people want to get to. We also heard you know, things like on the homelessness crisis um, that we have in Northern Ireland, you know, there's a real appetite, a real desire to tackle some of those big, messy social problems that that we've, we see um, increasing in Northern Ireland. So um, I think there is an appetite. There is a, a, an absolute slaves rolled up. We're ready to do this. We want to get on and deliver. Um, but I would also, you know, reflect that there is also somewhat of a fatigue, a fatigue of having to do so much over the last number of years with COVID and now having to do it all again in terms of dealing mm -hmm. with some of the big social problems we have through the cost of living crisis. And I think people do feel tired and people do need supported um, through that if we're, if we're to get through to the 2030 bold delivery of those ambitions. Yeah, and uh, and again, Marie, that you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a real nuanced picture, and that really comes through in the report. It was it was heartening to see that uh, the public sector want to retain that agility um, that they that that they that they had to adapt very quickly during COVID. Last question to you both. Um, uh, I love the kind of side comments that you see on this on the report um, uh, from from some of the officials that you interview. Believe it or not. Um, uh, these guys do go out. To, they don't just send out surveys. They actually go down and sit down with with some of these people, and uh, and actually get their views. Um, uh, Ed, I'll kick off with you first, and Marie, I want some perspectives from you too. In terms of the the standout from the interviews that you do, what is there any comments that really have stuck with you uh, now that the report is is put together? Yeah, I I think I think some of the boldness of the thinking among civil servants took me back particularly a number who said, you know, we can have smaller government, we can be sharper, we can be we can be more focused. Um, so I think that stood out for me. But probably the one quote that just has stuck in my head is about vocational education. Um, and we talked a lot with civil servants and others about the kind of the, the need for vocational education to be on parity with more academic routes and we were talking about skills and green skills and a civil servant in northern ireland said we don't need we jimmy to study ancient greek we need him building heating pumps and i think that's just a, a great look to the future so that stood out for me 
Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, nothing wrong with the study of politics, though. <laughs> just, to, just to speak up with the politics graduates. Oh, just... but there is, but there um, is. Um, we, we, no, we, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep, keep we Ginny doing politics at least. Marie, um, uh, what, 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 anything jump out to you uh, in the interviews? Yes, well, um, at, at the risk of being turning Ed's optimism into good old Northern Ireland pessimism, um, I think this year, um, really what was noteworthy was the, the real frustration with the political situation um, in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, I, we had one comment um, depressingly that this is not our first rodeo of working in the absence of ministers. So somewhat of an acceptance that, you know, we, we should as public sector leaders be expected and public sector sorry, public sector leaders themselves should be expected to work in the absence of ministerial guidance and cover. Um, I, I think that this was the first year we really saw um, and heard an emerging conversation about what the future structures of government should look like in Northern Ireland. Is the model of power sharing really going to work? Should it instead, again, a quote from one of our interviews, should it instead be a model of responsibility sharing rather than power sharing? And how do we how do we create a model where that's really going going to work going forward? Okay, so fascinating stuff. Again, I, I, I've I've read the report twice, and again, guys, uh, well done to yourselves for uh, for putting it together. It's always a great read to get not just the Northern Ireland picture in great detail, but also to see how that relates to what's going on in Scotland, Wales, and in England um, uh, as well. It's been a very turbulent year for public sector and in politics as well. I mean, we can flip a coin to see which place had the most turbulence really in 2022. Um, uh, but uh, that just leaves me just to thank Ed Roddus and Marie Doyle uh, for joining us today on the Slugger Hotel podcast. Thanks, Thank David.